0: Hello and welcome to Alex Listens. My name is Alex and this is the place where I talk about things like philosophy and politics and identity and race and that kind of stuff. And mental health. I talk about that too. Today I'm going to be talking about Ludwig Wittgenstein, who is a very, 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 very important philosopher. Um, Some say that he is the most important philosopher of the 20th century. He wrote... I guess, two big books. One is called the Logico Tractatus Philosophicus, which is the most ridiculous title for a book ever. And the other is called the Philosophical Investigations, which is equally ridiculous and really reveals nothing about anything. Um, because I guess like everything ever is a philosophical investigation. So Anyway, Wittgenstein talks about uh, language and meaning through language and use and understanding the world and trying to represent it in the most accurate and coherent way possible. And I wrote an essay on him and really learned a lot about meaning and language and use and stuff and wanted to share that with all of you. Anyway, 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 um, I'm going to leave you to Wittgenstein. Uh, Goodbye. Have a nice day. whole day okay so I said that I was going to talk about Wittgenstein um and I guess maybe I should give you a little bit of personal info about him so let me just do a quick ha oh, vit... <laughs> ha. okay <laughs> Wittgenstein. okay um Austrian British uh, died in 1951 born in 1889 Um, went to school with Hitler uh, but abhorred Nazism as far as I'm aware Um, was a very strange and troubled character Uh, Bertrand Russell who's a very famous 20th century philosopher described him in this incredible way I think he said something like he is the most perfect example of the genius as traditionally conceived and then he says, you know, gives him passionate. I don't know. I remember like domineering, something like that, obsessive. I think these are the terms used to describe Wittgenstein. I guess I'm going to begin by talking about the what we would typically associate with early Wittgenstein. Um, I guess what I would typically associate with early Wittgenstein, and I guess this is philosophical jargon, early Wittgenstein. But I guess that means what? Which ideas would we associate with? Wittgenstein in his early life or in his early writing. And I guess there are, this is something that happens in philosophy a lot when there's kind of the history, when people do history of philosophers, they break down their ideas into, I don't know, different eras or different parts of their life. So I guess you have early Wittgenstein whose ideas are different from middle Wittgenstein whose ideas are different from late Wittgenstein because there are very few people who are kind of uniform. And consistent in their views and opinions throughout the course of their whole life. Uh, and Wittgenstein, if if you can miraculously understand what he's saying, um, you can tell that you know there were some there are some pretty significant shifts that he made in his philosophizing and in his thinking as he grew older. Um, okay, so I'm going to begin with his first major works, the Tractatus, and this book is really hard to read, but it's excellent. And me saying it's excellent. Definitely isn't me saying that I've understood what has been said in the book, because really I don't, I don't think anyone understands what's been said in this book. Um, especially not me, but there were some things that I was able to understand. And that was because I spent a ridiculous amount of time trying to interpret very short, very succinct passages that he wrote. Um, And the book is structured in a very strange way Uh, It's structured as Premises that Consecutively decrease in their order of importance So everything is numbered So you have like, obviously you begin with number 1 And then that's premise 1 And then there's 1.1, which builds on 1 And there's 1.1 which builds on point 1.1 and then it goes to 1.2, which is kind of a new point that's connected to one and then you You know, it goes all the way up to like six or something. It's pretty short. It's like a 70 page book um, but you know, he's so committed to Building this really logical philosophical language structure and that's what the book is about It's about trying to compose. I guess one of the objectives is to try and compose an ideal Logically perfect language that can be used such that people can communicate, sense and meaning consistently, eternally, forever. So, I guess I am just going to repeat that because that's really important. I guess the the chief, the primary objective of the Tractatus, the Tractatus Logico, Logico Philosophicus. I am pretty sure that's what it's called. Um, I mean, just double check because I, it would be really bad to be misquoting this book. Yeah, Tractatus Logico Philosophicus. The primary objective of the book is to kind of mathematically and through logic construct a perfect language that is free from kind of moments of uh, confusion and vagueness and opaqueness and being turbid and being amorphous. And, you know, think about like, for example, if I say, that's a nice chair. And you as the listener, you're probably sitting in a chair. Maybe you're going on a walk somewhere, but what comes to mind? There's no way, unless like, unless you're, you've installed a security camera in my room. There's no way, you know, what kind of chair I'm sitting on right now, which is the chair that I have in mind. But the chair that I have in mind is this strange black chair that I got from, uh, Officeworks, which is a like, I don't know an office department shop when I finished high school, and supposedly it's ergonomic. And then a few years later, I'm pretty sure the entirety of ergonomics was busted and exposed as being uh, like fraudulent and not a legitimate discipline. Um, anyway, I wasted a lot of money on this chair, but that's the chair that I have in mind. So I guess you can see when I say that chair is beautiful. Unless I'm pointing at a chair and you're there to witness you don't really know well you can't be you can't know with absolute certainty what I am referring to um, and I guess we're going to come back to how Wittgenstein thinks that we should construct language um, but this reveals a an important role for the philosopher and this is where wittgenstein's ...philosophy becomes metaphilosophy, and I guess when anything, whenever anything is meta, it means that it's about something. So metaphilosophy is the philosophy of philosophy, or what does it, what does, yeah, what, I guess, what is philosophy. That's what metaphilosophy is. And because Wittgenstein says that language is opaque, can be opaque, can be unclear... He he then goes on to say that the role of the philosopher is to clarify language and is the kind of direct language towards clear meaning such that I can say, that's a nice chair and you will know what I mean without having to be present in the room. And what does that mean about language? I guess that means the consequence for language is that language represents the world. So early Wittgenstein understood language to be something which represented the world as it is. And this is a really weird philosophical jargon again, as it is, but I guess that means that the world has a particular shape and form and, and dare I say essence. And that essence can be misconstrued by language. And, you know, if I say, for example, my computer is blue. It's not blue. It's like silver, um, and so the proposition "my computer is blue" is a false proposition, and it depicts a world that isn't true because it just it isn't true that my computer is blue. It's silver, um, and Wittgenstein classifies statements that are misleading, or propositions that are misleading, or that just don't represent the world as it is, as being nonsensical. They they are nonsense, they can't be understood. You can't understand what it means for me when I say my computer is blue, when it is in fact gray. Or if you do understand it, you're not understanding the world as it is. You're kind of imagining a different potential world in which my computer would be blue. So this is all pretty weird space brain, kind of pineal gland stuff, but that's okay because that's really all you need to know about early Wittgenstein. That language is a a vehicle for representing the world. And the the responsibility of the philosopher... So when we ask the metaphilosophical question, what is philosophy? Philosophy is the project of redirecting language towards propositions that make sense. Um, And I guess Wittgenstein has a lot of maths to explain how to construct perfect language that is devoid of fault, um, that is free from confusion and misleading statements and that kind of stuff. And I don't understand the maths, uh, and I don't, I don't think I, I, well, the late Wittgenstein departed from this view and he really abandoned the kind of maths focused, Logical nature of the Tractatus, which is the first book that I've been talking about so far So I guess now is a good time to move on to The later Wittgenstein, which is The Wittgenstein, which we associate, which I associate with The Philosophical Investigations, which is his second big text So I guess now we should be kind of familiar with, with Wittgenstein's idea of language And I guess early Wittgenstein When he was young, he thought that language represented the world uh, and it could do so in a way that made sense and in a way that didn't make sense. And as philosophers, and I guess everyone, everyone who uses language should try to use it in a way that makes sense. And that means to depict the world as it is. To use language in a way that represents the world as it is. And I guess very briefly, there are some interesting things that we can think about here. Um, I guess is language when I say my hair is brown is that pointing to something on my head that is outside your brain or is it pointing to the idea of brown hair that is inside your brain Um, and this this is like you know a very big question in philosophy of mind um, and kind of uh, what's that discipline called? Phenomenology, um, the philosophy of phenomena. And it's something that's really interesting that I just wanted to get you thinking about. So what do you think? Do you have an opinion on that? Do you think that when something is represented through language, it's represented in your mind or it's kind of pointed to as something that exists external to the mind in the real world that the mind is kind of able to translate into something that makes sense? Uh, yeah. Anyway, Let's move on from that That's just an interesting question to think about So the Philosophical Investigations Which is the second major book that Wittgenstein wrote Takes a really different stance on understanding language And I guess it he thinks about language as He thinks about language as having a particular meaning So when I say and this is kind of consistent with early Wittgenstein, right? Because in the Tractatus, in the first book he wrote, he thought about language as something that could either make sense or, or not make sense. And in the Philosophical Investigations, the second book, that he the second major book, he thinks about language as something that has meaning and conveys meaning. And how do we understand meaning? It's an important question, right? What do we what does it mean when something means something to us? What does it mean when I say my hair is brown and that means something for you? What does that mean? Surely it's not just neurons firing. Surely it actually has some other kind of meaning, right? Wittgenstein says that meaning in language comes from its use. So meaning emerges from the use of language we understand the meaning of language i'm repeating myself now we understand the meaning of language by using it in a way that accords with or in a way that is consistent with the kind of governing social norms of the sociolinguistic sphere we inhabit or something like that and so that means that meaning is contextually dependent right because if I say blue in English, that means particular colour. But it's very, very conceivable to, to, you know, imagine a different language where blue actually means what red means in English. Um, and so, obviously, blue is just the sound that, like any other word, kind of arbitrarily indicates something, points to something in the world. Which, I guess, blue is the color blue. Um, and so we should say that we know what something means. So I know what the color I know what blue means when I can use the word blue correctly and properly. And so this is this is a really interesting thought that I actually will only ever understand what something means. I will ever know I will only ever know what something means when I'm able to use it correctly in a sentence or in a proposition Or in participating in a language with other people um, And so presumably in this podcast I am using language in a way that makes sense to you That has meaning for you And that would mean that both of us Me and you, the listener Are inhabiting the same language game And now we move on to a a new term that Wittgenstein uses, and that is the language game. And the language game isn't very difficult to grasp um, because I've kind of used it already um, by talking about language as being something that is contextually dependent. When I say blue, and you know what blue means, and both of us can stand next to each other and point to the sky and say, hey, that's blue. Irrespective of you know, whether or not our experiences of blue are the exact same Presumably both of us... It, presumably it means the same thing For both of us Um... It has the same meaning because Its representation to us Is... Consistent We're both pointing to the same thing and saying that's blue That would mean That in our language game So in the English language Blue, we're using blue properly. Because it makes sense. That's that's the correct use of blue. So in English, it would be incorrect to point to grass, which typically is green, and say that's blue. That would mean that we're kind of we've misunderstood the language game of the English language, the English language game. So That's what a language game is. A language game just refers to, like, the total kind of sum of things that exist for people who are participating in some kind of community together. And then, I guess, within the English language, there are more specific language games. Um, Philosophy has its own language game. It's very, you know, it has a particular kind of prose. uh, It uses particular words. It rejects other words. Um... So I guess language games are really helpful because they allow us to understand how different groups of people can use different language and it makes sense for them. I like think about all the different kinds of slang that exist in languages and I guess if you're not privy to that particular the use of that particular slang so if you're not from the part of the world where that slang is being used, it won't make sense to you. You're not, you're not a participant in that language, that particular language game. Maybe you're a participant in the language game of the entire language, like of English, but you're not a participant in Melbourne's inner North language game, which is a subset of the English language game, but which has, you know, its own kind of slang or something like that. Yeah. So that's that's kind of an introduction to Wittgenstein. Um, we have early Wittgenstein, which sought to where where he he understood language as a means for representing the world and as something that could either make sense or not make sense. Um, and as philosophers, as people who use language, we should try and make sense as much as we can, because otherwise we're kind of disrespecting. Well, I don't know. He doesn't make a moral claim. Uh, He doesn't really make moral claims very clearly about why this is good. But presumably, you know, you can appeal to kind of basic social cohesion. So imagine if I couldn't communicate to anyone that I was hungry. And uh, like that would be really bad. Like, I guess, you know, you want to be able to tell people that you're hungry and for them to understand what that means. So obviously there is... You know That's like a really uh, basic argument But obviously there is something very meaningful In meaning making sense In language making sense to us And then later Wittgenstein um, w- w- When he was older he wrote the philosophical investigations And in that book he understood Meaning, the meaning of things to kind of come through To emerge from their use in language So when I say sky is blue and you say yeah so blue we're talking about the same thing we're talking about or we're we're, we're both participating in the same language game where blue refers to that the color of the sky and it is contextually dependent as I said so blue might mean one thing for one language group and it might mean another thing for another language group and that's okay that just means that there are two different language games Going on at the same time, and maybe you can be a participant in both of them if you want to. But you know, if you've got your own definition of blue and that works for you and that works for your community, um, yeah, you know, you're probably going to stick to your own definition of blue unless you, you you're curious to learn another language, um, which would introduce you to an entire an entirely different language game, um, because I guess the kind of root, the basic form of the language game is. particular language itself. So the English language or the Arabic language or the French language or something like that. Cool. That's an introduction to Wittgenstein. There were some other things that I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to do it in another episode. And that is, I guess, going to think about whether we can make moral claims about language and whether Wittgenstein's ideas about language actually tell us whether or not some languages Or some language games are better than others. So, for example, if one person understands education to be something that is only available to certain types of people. So, a really exclusive definition of education. Can we use Wittgenstein or any of his philosophy to say that person is false? That that person's understanding of language is not a good understanding and we should prioritize. Um different more liberal understandings of education. And that kind of stuff is what I'm going to talk about in my next episode on Wittgenstein, which probably won't be the next episode I record, but will be one that comes along soon. Anyway, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, support it on Patreon, like it on Instagram, tell a friend, whatever. But if anything, if you know, there's one thing that you should do, you should follow me on social media because there I'll keep you up to date with all stuff. To do with um, the podcast and other projects I'm working on. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye. Yeah, yeah, I got ambition. Nah, but there ain't no money in this business. Yeah, so what long can I keep a doing this shit? Yeah, let forever that's how I'm feeling. Not feeling, not feeling, not feeling, not feeling. I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling.